Are you a nonprofit professional who's feeling overwhelmed and burnt out? Well, welcome to the Lead with Heart podcast. I am your host, Haley Cooper. On this podcast, we will share stories of leadership, courage, and empathy that'll help you learn to take care of yourself, your staff, organization, and community. You will hear from nonprofit leaders who have been in your shoes and have learned best practices to raise more revenue and make a greater impact. Let's thrive together. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Lead with Heart podcast. I am your host, Haley Cooper. And today on the podcast, I have Danielle Judd of Farmhouse Rescue. And I'm so excited to have this conversation with her and just learn more about the work that she does. I've just heard amazing things about Farmhouse Rescue and Danielle. And a little bit about her. She is a visionary leader who founded Farmhouse Rescue, a distinguished 501c3 nonprofit organization in 2018. This came after surviving a life-threatening illness that left her with enduring effect, including memory loss. Through her unwavering determination and passion, she sought to heal both animals and humans alike. As a driving force behind Farmhouse Rescue, Danielle expertly manages, coordinates, and executes all programs and activities related to marketing, operations, and fundraising. Her remarkable abilities have propelled the organization to new heights, enabling it to make a meaningful impact in the lives of those it serves. Well, thank you for being here today, Danielle, and welcome. Thank you for having me. I love listening to... I'm like, when I listen to it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to meet her. I know. That's why I'm so excited when I read your bio. Yeah. So excited to meet you and have this conversation. Well, I would love to know a little bit more like about your backstory and what led you to start Farmhouse Rescue, if you don't mind sharing. Oh, of course. I love sharing this because... So I do not have a background in nonprofit at all. In fact, this was not my goal in the end. This is something that I always tell people that like, sometimes in life you go through things and you go, gosh, why did that happen to me? Like, why did I go through different avenues and I ended up here? Like, how did this all work out? And I have to tell you that there's a reason and you go through so many different avenues of jobs and different things. And I always wanted to be that one person that was really good at one thing that was just like, had their career and was set in their career. I was a designer for celebrities. So I did homes. Then I did fashion design as well. So I created clothing. I've gone through so many different jobs and so many different avenues that ended up when I got sick, I had bacterial meningitis in my third pregnancy. And I ended up in the hospital and that led to sepsis and organ failure and severe pneumonia. And it just gave me a new release on life. When your organs are failing and you realize that that you're going to die, all you want to do is just give back. You think, how did I leave this world better than I came into it? What did I give back? Yes, I succeeded in my professional career of doing what I needed to do, but what did I actually do to leave a mark to make it better? I'm going to leave here and there's nothing that I'm giving back. I didn't leave this world with anything except for my own personal accomplishments. And you take that with you when you go down. Yes, you can have a business and pass that on and that's great. And that business can give back. But when you're just so stuck in your head of making your career successful, you lose track on the bigger picture of life and the meaning of life, which is to make world better for everyone that's here. 
And I swore in that moment that if I made it through, I would do everything I can to give back and to be a good person. And I would dedicate my life to good. And plot twist, I made it. And I was lost. I had uh, memory loss, seizures. I have severe depression. So that didn't help, especially when you have, I almost said postmortem, but like after you have a baby, that was even worse. It just made my depression worse. But then losing your memory, I didn't know my husband. I didn't remember my kids really that much. My, My oldest son is 18 right now, but I remembered him when he was eight. So I had a lot of lost memories. It was very difficult and I felt really dumb. People would come up to me and I didn't know who they were. And it was so frustrating that I ended up with like suicidal thoughts and I just didn't realize the point of even being here anymore. If I couldn't, I didn't feel right. And I felt intelligent before, but it was just, everything was lost in that moment and I was hopeless. And my husband came up to me and said, when was a time in your life that you were happy? And I thought he was crazy. And I'm just like, I don't know. And oh, the only thing that I remembered is when I was a kid, I had this love for horses. I don't know why. I just, I always loved horses. And I remember when I was younger, I had the opportunity to go riding and I just felt good. And it was the time that I'm like, I like horses. And we lived in an HOA in this small community. And he's, okay, well, we need to find you a horse in Orange County. And so I'm like, okay. And I realized I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to rescue a horse. And that's my good person moment. So I rescued this racehorse and this racehorse ended up rescuing me. And I was like, this is incredible. This feeling that this horse has saved me. Imagine if it helped me, how many more people that this horse can help. So I started there. I started rescuing animals and we were still living in the HOA. And then I said to my husband, we need a bigger facility. We have way too many animals. Like we've been boarding them in different places. And I'm like, we need to find a farm. And he's okay, good luck with that. And we did. We found one. It was it was crazy. It was a fixer. There is like an art commune. I've never seen so many mattresses in my life. I cried a couple of times just going, what did I get myself into? And of course, people would come over and be like, what is your problem? You do not need this in your life. And I'm like, you know what? This is what I need to be doing. Yes, I do need this. And I kept pushing and I would would invite individuals with mental health difficulties and adults with special needs. And I noticed the healing powers that it had. And then I realized that during COVID, I really wanted to bring the animals to hospitals. That was one of my biggest things because when I was in a hospital, you just, you're stuck with your thoughts in there. And you'll watch a commercial, like a sandals commercial. And I started crying like, why are these people like healthy and frolicking on the beach? Why, why are they good? And I know it's just to say, I like no offense, Sandals of commercial actors. You did a great job and you looked happy, but I was so upset. And I'm like, what did I do wrong in my life? What am I doing? I'm not a bad person. Why am I here? And I was blaming myself. And I started realizing, I asked the nurse and I said, do kids have this feeling? Do they're like, oh, you have no idea. These kids are like, maybe it's because I lied. Maybe it's because I wasn't a good kid. Maybe it's because they everybody goes through it. And if I wasn't given that opportunity to feel that, I would not have known. And I'm like, okay, how do I bring the farm to the hospital? And of course you think, oh, well, you can bring ponies to the hospital or pigs to the hospital. But I do bring pigs to nursing homes and they do go wee-wee all the way home. And it is a bit <laughs> difficult, but they make it in there. But it wasn't practical. And I thought, I want to bring so much more to these kids. So I decided to just live wire the entire farm with cameras at Animal Height to allow kids to have access. Because when I started speaking to children's hospitals, they're like, yeah, when 
the aquariums and the zoos, sometimes they have like births or things like that, or, and they put a camera in there and the kids love it. I'm like, what about if they had a farm? And they're like, what? (laughs) So I'm like, yeah, I have this weird idea and I'm going to go through with it. And I started putting cameras all over this farm at animal level and 24 hours a day, they have access to these animals. And we got such a great response from these kids and we call them our smile cams. And in it, I do reading time in the chicken coop. Uh, we have special events just for them. We have goat dress up. We have like <laughs> things that are scheduled so that way if they feel like they're interacting. And then I realized, you know what? I need to take this a step further. There's one thing to have cameras, but how do I create a relationship with the kids and the animals? And that's when I started our smile boxes in our pen pal system with the animals and the smile cams. So not only when they enter the hospital and they begin cancer treatment, they get a box on their bed or at their chemo chair. And when they open it, it has a stuffed animal of one of the farm animals. It has a pen. It has a fidget toy. Everything there is with purpose. It has a straw that has a cute farm thing on it, it has an art project. And then I don't know if you remember pen pals. Like I loved pen pals and I feel like it's a lost art and kids love getting things in the mail. So in it are two envelopes with stamps on it and a letter from our first animal, which is the horse that saved me, Lovey. And it's a note from her saying, my name is Lovey. My best friend is Avalanche on the farm. I like to eat alfalfa. I know you probably don't. What do you like eating? And then they write back and I get these incredible letters in the mailbox. And then the animal, of course, Lovey writes back to them with an art project, an imprint of her hoof with paint or something fun like that. And I read the letters to the animals. And then she says, well, I want to introduce you to my friend, George Hamilton III, which is a pig, of course. And George tells them a little bit about himself. And then the next one is a goat named, gosh, which goat is it? It's Hansel. And the cards are just like so neat. It's, hi, I'm Hansel. I'm a friendly brown goat. I was found along with my best friend, Gretel, not long after I was delivered on a hillside in Orange County. I am so happy that we get to live together at Farmhouse Rescue as us goats are very social animals. We get sad if we don't have the company of our friends. People at the farm think I have a cheeky character. I think I am just very happy, energetic, and playful. I love to eat everything. How about you? Do you know what a baby goat is called? Maybe you could write back to me with your answers and even draw me a picture. So that comes back. So it becomes an ongoing, we have different and on the front is their picture. And we have over 65 animals here, so I'm not going to run out and we could repeat, but but I set up a system here and it's magical. It became what it needed to be, but it took three years to get it to this point of understanding the purpose of this nonprofit. It started out so different, the idea to me, and it ended up being everything that I needed it to be and more. And I just feel good. I know it sounds morbid, but I always tell my husband, I'm like, if I die tomorrow, I'm good. That's a kind of a cool feeling. I've heard this thing that says, if you had one day to live, what would you do? And I'm like, probably put my phone down for that day, but I do everything that I'm doing today. And that's such a great feeling to have, to know that you're doing things right and that you are exactly where you need to be and living your life with purpose is what I try and do each day. And everything that we do here, we try, I say, has to have purpose to it. No matter what we do, it needs a purpose. Hey there, podcast family. If you're like me and deeply committed to improving your leadership skills and fostering better connections with your team, I've got something truly amazing to share with you. 
I'm proud to introduce the EMC Masterclass, something I talk about often as a certified trainer. It's an incredible program developed by the renowned Dr. Lola Gershfield, an organizational psychologist and corporate emotional connection expert. You might remember her from a podcast episode where she shared invaluable insights into the world of emotional connection. Dr. Gershfield's EMC Leaders courses are designed for anyone working with people, whether you're a manager, supervisor, team leader, educator, coach, mentor, or a team member. This program is truly for everyone looking to enhance their communication and collaboration skills to raise more revenue for their mission. Now, let me tell you why the EMC Masterclass is a game changer. Dr. Gershfeld's groundbreaking emotional connection process has been integrated into top universities' curriculum and recognized by international organizations like ICF, HRCI, and SHRM. Humans are wired to seek emotional safety, and when we feel safe, we're more likely to take risks, share innovative ideas, and collaborate effectively. The EMC process is the catalyst for creating that emotional safety within your team. The virtual EMC masterclass consists of eight modules with four hours of expertly recorded material, 13 quizzes to reinforce your learning, and a workbook filled with activities for offline practice and something I still refer to daily. Ready to become an emotional connection master? Dr. Gershfield is offering an exclusive detail for our podcast listeners. Use the code LEADWITHHEART to enjoy a generous 10% discount on the EMC Masterclass. Head over to emcleaders.com and enroll in the EMC Masterclass today. Wow, thank you so much for sharing. And this is my first time hearing your story. And I'm just so grateful for you. And you are so strong and courageous for turning such a traumatic event into such a beautiful story and hopefully a beautiful ending one day. Because like you said, you are living life with purpose and you've really dedicated your life to this mission. And we are talking a little bit about, there's so much to unpack here, but I want to talk a little bit about more about the therapeutic aspect of animals. When we were off screen, I was talking to you when I was working at a local organization that was serving men with substance abuse issues and mental health issues. And they had goats, they had sheep, they had horses. And I remember them telling me that horses are so powerful because they mirror you, they mirror your emotions. And there was this one time this guy was lying about his prescription medicine and the horse was acting up and the horse trainer was like, get off this horse. Like you're not telling the truth. And the horse was mirroring his reaction or mirroring his anxiety. And it was so cool because I'd never heard that before. I'd never known that animals can be such powerful beings and they can help really save people from themselves because you start to see outside yourself. So I'd love to know from your perspective and doing this work and obviously having experienced the therapeutic benefits of working with a horse, like what are some of those aspects and why did you choose animals over other areas of things that can help restore your health? Yes, definitely. So we do, we have horses, sheep, peacocks, cows, goats, turkeys, mini ponies. We have every animal under the sun here. And the animals are so different. Each person needs something different. That person, like you said, is the horse. 
And we've had instances with individuals that wanted to commit suicide, uh, 12 that have been admitted that knew that they wanted, that their life has been saved by these animals here on this farm. And they would come and it's not even riding the horse because really horses, they don't need to be ridden. That's all for yourself. And that's great. And I love that. But the animals that we rescue here, they're for the individual's healing. They're for working with one-on-one, understanding, respecting the animal. Horses are so large that you really get an idea of something bigger than yourself. And dogs are small, cats are small. You feel like the alpha. And with a horse, you need to earn their respect and you need to give them respect. And that's something that is only earned over time. And when they get that feeling, that horse remembers them or knows them or that they come up to them. It's this feeling of accomplishment that is so strong and gives them purpose to come back. And these animals, all these animals here, every bit of these volunteers that are coming here, making this farm something that it is for these cameras, they're mucking. I have volunteers each day doing hard labor, mucking every day, cleaning the pens, cleaning, like it's something that they are living a bigger purpose than themselves to serve someone else. So as these individuals are healing, the biggest thing that you can do to heal yourself is to do service. And that's something that I knew from my personal experience. So when these volunteers are coming here, they're serving a higher purpose. They're serving these children that are in the hospital by taking care of these animals for these children so that they can have the opportunity to enjoy these animals. And in return, they're healing from that from that interaction. So I, and I noticed different animals are attuned to different people. Like I had no idea and I still want to do the science on this, but chicken, I don't understand the chickens thing, but like a lot of adults with special needs love chickens. It's their thing. And it is beyond me. I understand chickens. I think they're great. I love, I appreciate their eggs. I do think they're cute, but I don't have this deep connection with the chickens. Like I see these adults with special needs do and some of these volunteers. And it's so incredible to me to see each person identify with an animal and have that understanding of that animal and earning that love from that animal is something so deep to them that it's healing. So I think it's really like exactly why we have dogs and cats. And I think in a rise during COVID, you saw a rise of adoption in animals. And there's a reason there because when we're lonely, we want to take care of someone. We want to feel a sense of purpose. And these animals give us purpose. And whether it's a cat or a dog, when you're alone, you need something. You need someone there to serve. And that's what this farm represents for all the volunteers here. We give them purpose to serve and to serve something bigger than their issues that they're having. And they start to see that when you start to see other people's issues, some other people's problems and become friends here, they're serving a higher purpose than what they thought was their own problems. And they get out of their head, which is really neat. That's so beautiful. And I love hearing that perspective of really being able to serve someone else and earning that love from those animals. I think that's so beautiful. And you you talk a lot about purpose. And I know for a lot of founders of nonprofits or CEOs, we all start out with a certain purpose and mission. And then sometimes we drift a little bit away from it. And we want to do all of the things because there's so many needs to be met in the community. And I would love to know, because you mentioned you're like, you really nailed down your purpose over the last three years and you're sticking with it. And so I'd love to know your process of like, 
where you started and what really made you decide on the direction that you're going today and committing to that direction. And what are some of the steps that other nonprofit founders can really narrow down what their mission and purpose should be? Absolutely. So a big thing with me, and like I said at the beginning, you may not know what journey you're going to be on. And I was always upset that I was like, why can't I just be good? I was good at something, but why can't I just have a career in one thing and make that go? But with the nonprofit, especially starting one, it's a business and it's a startup. And you have to give every ounce. If you're going to start a nonprofit, this is for individuals that think, hey, you know what? I'm going to start a nonprofit. This is not something that's cute. It's not fun. It's not, it's rewarding, but it's a startup. It takes, and I wish that someone would have said, hey, you need to have a lot of money to start a nonprofit. That would be a lot more helpful because then you could hire a lot more people. But when you start something at the beginning, but you did this podcast, the rewards don't come right away. Three years later, the rewards have come, but it's taken three years for this to actually come to fruition for me to see the reward of it and to understand. But those three years, they were so hard. Running a nonprofit is not a thankless job. It's a, why can't you do better job? It's a, why aren't you doing this job? Or why don't you help that person job? And you need thick skin. And I didn't have that at the beginning. And I just thought, oh my gosh, I'm here to help animals. I'm going to rescue animals. But when that wasn't enough, when I realized that wasn't my, yes, I love animals. So yes, that's how I started was rescuing animals. And then it appeared to me that, no, there's more. You have this inkling that there's more and you need to act on that and act on that hopelessness and build on it. Take that. Don't give up because the second you give up, I'd rather fail at doing something than not do it at all. That is just, and you have to have that ambition to know that you are willing to fail at doing this, but you're going to fail hard. You're going to give every ounce that you have given in order for this to succeed, that if you fail, you're okay with it, but you won't give up. And that's something, that's a drive that you need to have to make something successful. And it's not going to be successful. Three years for me is getting to the point of a turnaround and seeing it and starting to get the success of consistent donors and getting the word out and people and getting news and getting awards. That took three years of selfless 24-hour days, at least three days a month of self-promotion and and doing these stories. But it wasn't something that you don't start something and especially nonprofit. And people were a lot less supportive than I thought they would be, which was actually disappointing to hear. And I get it because there's a lot of shady things in nonprofits that I had no idea. And I've met with founders before and I realized it was all about them. And it was, they, like you said, we, they lose purpose and it becomes who's the CEO of what. And one of my biggest driving forces is that I never want this to be me. And I never want to have, yes, I understand I have to be the face of this. And that's been my most difficult challenge is to accept an award or to accept something on this. And that's why I personally don't take a salary from this nonprofit because it's something that I'm doing good to the world. And I want it to be my service to this world. And when I ask for donations, these donations are going strictly towards our programs and not my salary. And I know people are like, well, we need a salary and all that. And I get that. And don't feel guilty having more. But at the same time, I want you to dedicate your life and know that 
this job is not to make you rich. People, individuals that are in this position. I've met a lot of individuals that are in the company of this is their job. And I'm like, you lose purpose of what you're doing. This is all about good. This is all about what can I do to change the world? How can this organization make this world better? And am I going to be the leader that I need to be to make that happen? And I think any leader of a nonprofit needs to be selfless, needs to be that individual that wants to give and wants to do good and wants to uplift people. When I get any volunteer here that comes in and says, I I have a woman named Helen who I love her so much. And she came in and she's like, you know, I haven't done PR work before. I was a writer and all this. And she's like, I really want to help. And I was horrible because in the beginning, I was running back emails sometimes because I was doing so many different things and all that. And she really stuck to it. And she came in and she's been here every single day. And she is my right-hand person. And I would not be where I am without this incredible team that has gathered around me. This is not me doing this. This is them allowing me to be a leader and allowing me to understand the purpose of this nonprofit and the kids that really need us. And when things go bad, I have to, sometimes you have to fire volunteers too, which I had no idea was a thing. (laughs) And and That's one of the hardest things. I can't even explain it to you. It's so difficult. And it becomes a thing that you need people in your background going, you know what, the people that really need you, the people that think you're doing a great job are these kids. These kids that are writing you letters that you open that mailbox and that it's working for them. You need to just focus on your purpose. And our purpose here is healing humans, healing these kids and these animals, healing these kids. And when volunteers come in and miss that, and when they come in And it's more about, oh, well, I really like horses and I want to come. We've had volunteers say, well, do you ride the horses? I'd like to ride the horses. I'd like to do. And I'm like, totally get that. I'd love to ride my horses. I haven't ridden in a year and a half and I'd love to ride, (laughs) but that's not what we do here. When you serve, you're serving someone else other than yourself. So really being reminded of your purpose is something that I have to check myself every day. I really do. And when your purpose is these children, it's so rewarding for me to see these letters in the mail on the outside. You'll see, I love you and pictures and that, and it'll fuel me. And if I didn't have that, if I didn't see the results of that, it'd be difficult and it would be more about something else. But I think understanding, I think people have a hard time understanding purpose when they don't understand what their role is in the organization and they don't take that seriously. That's I do because this is what I dedicated my life to, and I promised God. So that's a big person to promise. So <laughs> yeah, want to disappoint him. <laughs> yeah, I love what you said about purpose, and I think in my experience, a lot of nonprofits, and especially like someone who's a fundraiser, you lose that purpose and connection to the mission because you're once removed, and it's really hard when you lose that connection to that mission to then communicate it out to volunteers and donors. One, when everyone in the nonprofit organization thinks you're doing like five different things and also not being able to be there on the ground. Luckily, I've worked in mostly grassroots organizations where I get to go volunteer and hear the stories. And it's so impactful because then I can go back and share that. So what is your advice, especially for like busy CEOs who you do it all, you do the operations, the marketing, the fundraising, the speaking, the presenting, like how can you advise CEOs to get back to the mission and keep the mission at the forefront of all decisions that are being made? 
So I love that you asked me that. And that's something that CEOs need to get dirty. They do. And they really need their volunteers to see them actively working. So what I like to do is I take one day a week at least, but Fridays are usually my day on the farm. And you'll see me, you see me today, no makeup, just I have poop on me from animals. I'm so glad there's no smell of vision but you need to be in the trenches. And we need to think of it as this is a team building experience. This is something that you need to fuel your volunteers that when they're in the trenches, you need to be there with them. And they need to see you as a figure there. And they need to know that you've been there. Every CEO that I've ever spoken to, and I've done a lot of mentorship with different CEOs, especially building this understanding that this is something bigger than just this cute little organization. This is a business, this nonprofit. And every single CEO that I've spoken to that has been successful in high companies have all started somewhere at the bottom of the company have worked their way through that I appreciate. And there's so much respect given to those CEOs. And I feel like the successful ones have built something and the volunteers have seen them there. So My advice is take one day, do packaging, do volunteer work, go into where everyone else is, allow yourself to work, to not just handshake, but to work alongside them and take that day and consistently do it and let people know Wednesdays is my day that I come in and I run programs and I do this and I do that and put on some normal person clothes and let the other volunteers see how hard you work and work your butt off. Because I will tell you, I'm At uh, five in the morning on Fridays, I am uh, filling everything before my volunteers come here. They all know they're like, oh, Friday's Danielle's day on the farm if you want to see her work. And I will work harder and push it because I know that I want to show them that I understand what they're doing and I know how hard it is what they're doing. And I appreciate each and every single one of them. So taking that opportunity to, to maybe take one day a week or one day every two weeks or something just to get in the trenches. Think of it as a team building opportunity, but it allows the volunteers to feel that you're part of a team. And that's what we are here because you wouldn't be able to run an organization without a team. I can't do this by myself. It sounds like I do. And I did it in the beginning. I did our logo. I didn't know how to build a website. I learned how to build a website. I've learned it all, but it's not easy and it's not fun. And I only did it out of necessity because I had to not because I wanted to, but because I had to, but because to get this organization to where it is, I needed that. And we didn't have the funds to have that. So I had to be the person to do that. So you are only as good as the team that surrounds you. And if you can surround yourself with people that have this vision and understand and know your passion, and that passion comes from doing work and the way that they're going to see their purpose again is by getting their hands dirty again and understanding the impact that it makes. Wow. I love that. And I would love to know, thank you so much for sharing. And I would love to know as a visionary leader, like how have you and how can other visionary leaders and founders, because I think a lot of people, I don't want to put words into founders' mouths, but hold tight to that vision that you have for the mission. But I think that you've done so well is building that team around you so that you can really focus on what you excel at. So how can other founders really build that team around them that enables them to do the visionary work that a CEO should do, but also having a team that does more of the in the weeds work so that you can excel at your mission. Yeah. So 
it's about being present in the moment. I have an open door policy here. So I want people to know, yes, they see me busy. They always see me busy, whether it's anything. I think having this understanding that you need an open door policy for workers that are here on the farm, my office luckily is on the farm. It's actually a big barn and that I'm in and it's nice inside. I swear it's really nice. It's an open door policy. It's they see me working. They know how hard I work. So as they're working hard out on the ground, they're seeing me inside working hard and ask for help. There's going to be individuals that want to help out there and really ask for that. See where people are, are. There's different people, like not a lot of people like to muck, right? Poop and do all that, but they're really good at social media, let's say. Use their talents and let them excel in that. Really show them that they're good at it and reward them and tell them how great it is. Tell them how appreciated they are. It's so hard to appreciate each and every person for everything they're doing. It's hard to clap for everything that they do. But take that moment to see what they're good at. And and as a leader, you need to really take that opportunity and recognize the individual and study them. You need to study each person because it's like a marriage. I always say you're dating when you interview. And when you interview a person, you're really in the dating phase, right? They're putting on a good face and all this. And you need to see, oh, well, what do you like to do? Take their hobbies, take their talents, take everything into consideration and go, how do I make you successful? When you turn that around to instead of how do they make me successful, instead of wondering what they're going to do for me, I always wonder, how can I empower them to be the best that they're going to be? How can I make them feel so confident that they're doing an incredible job, that they want to continue doing this, that they feel good about themselves? So empowering an individual in their own individual strengths is something big that I like to do. Yeah, and I think that's so important when it comes to not only like teams and staff members, but also board members and volunteers, because you don't want to waste their time. You want to make sure that they are excelling. And by doing what you just said is where you get that team engagement because people feel supported. They feel like they're doing their what they're good at. And so they want to be more engaged and more productive and more collaborative towards the mission. And so I would love to know, you've mentioned volunteers a bunch, like how have you really built that program from the ground up? (laughs) Well, so we do a pretty strong interview process here because we do have cameras 24 seven and there's lots of individuals that just want to come here and see the animals and all of that. But it's something that I really have to, we're a family here, individuals that come here that are normal volunteers come one day a week, every week. They come on their set day from nine to 12. And that's because they're understanding that they have a commitment here to these animals. They're learning every day. A lot of these people don't have large animal care, in, but their skills that they're building on is something big. So when they come to the farm and we set up a volunteer orientation, we do a day uh, once a month and we walk them around the farm. We give them some realistic. I have some volunteers, some senior volunteers that have been in the trenches with me and I ask them to come with me during, and I do, I like to be on that tour as well at the end, especially, or during if I have time. And I like to show them every bit of what we do here. So this is what you're going to do. You'll be picking up your muckrake here. And at the end we go, now, if this isn't something that you want to do, we totally understand. But if there is something else that you think that you can help our organization with, whether it's social media, emails, that you really enjoy doing, tell us, fundraising, anything, tell us because there is a purpose for you here. There is a need for you here, whatever that is. 
And I'm not going to turn someone that doesn't like dirt into picking up poop. They're not going to enjoy themselves. So I, I want to put that individual in a spot where they're going to be happy. And it's all word of mouth. So when you get volunteers that are happy and know that they're doing things, they start spreading the word to other people. Gosh, you know where I volunteer once a week? It's Farmhouse Rescue. I just love it. The animals are great. Well, I really enjoy coming there, doing this. And they go, oh, well, that's really neat. And then that person, and then the next person, and then the summer camps. And then it's all about word of mouth that you really get good volunteers because your volunteers are going to be your biggest fundraiser supporters. They're going to be your biggest recruiters. And they're going to be the best people to get your word out and your mission because they're passionate and people want to see the passion that you have. And if they're like, oh yeah, I just volunteer in this one place. It's no big deal. It's wow. I feel super motivated right now. I'm <laughs> It's actually like understanding that what they're doing matters and that you appreciate them. So with that comes something from a leader standpoint where you have to recognize that. And I know we all have to have fun here. So we do team building events, which is really something big. And we do things that whether it's packaging smile boxes and they all come in and there's pizza like today at 12 o'clock, I have a summer camp meeting. And that's not just a boring meeting. That's a fun meeting where we're having pizza and it's fun and I have some fun things for them. And I have like hands of silly string here. It's going to be fun. And it's something that they see that I appreciate them and they appreciate and they know that there's something once a month for them that they can come if they want to. And if they don't have to, we've done wine and painting night on the farm where they can invite their family, but they feel a sense of family here. And that's what everybody wants, right? Is to feel included and to feel loved. And I want them all to know that I do love them and that this farmhouse rescue loves them and that this is their place. And when they want to bring people in, they're bringing people that they think will be a good fit for this. Yes, I love that. And I love really like creating that family, like inclusive environment where people feel part of it. Because like you said, when people feel a part of it, they're more engaged and they're more likely to become your greatest ambassadors. And that's what we all want at the end of the day is for people to go scream our missions from the mountaintops and invite people to come and serve. I always like to ask this question, what is bringing you joy or what is lighting you up right now? Okay. I have to tell you these letters, like I wish everyone can open a mailbox and see these letters that I get. And I purposely make them bright colors. And every time I open the mailbox, I get so much joy. This is all for these kids. And these kids are the heroes to me that are fighting and their parents and their siblings, even that write us letters. That's what drives me every day. I'm going to tear up, but I hang some of the, the letters on the wall, like my favorite ones each time, and we hang them in the barn. But it's just seeing that we matter to them and seeing that this is what's making writing a letter. It says, you make me feel so much better. Hopefully one day I can see you. And knowing that we give hope is something that gives me so much joy that I can't even express it. It's just, I'm like crying because it's just, it's so, because it's a lot of work doing this is, I'm not going to lie. It's so hard. Running an organization is so hard. Everyone knows that no matter what you do, you're doing something wrong. And it's just so difficult. But when you see the impact that you're making to an individual, to that's everything to me, that means the world to me. That when someone told me that, I saved their life or the farmhouse rescue saved their life. It means that we're doing everything that we need to be doing. And that's what brings me joy 
And people are like, oh, so you don't get paid. And I'm like, but I do. I get paid in love and in the satisfaction of knowing that I am making a difference in the world and giving these kids some sort of hope in their family in such a dark time. Like it's, that's what brings me joy. And I'll tell you, I'm not perfect. I'm a mom of three kids. And I mean, my, I'm going to totally admit this. My eight-year-old doesn't know how to tie her shoes. I'm sorry. This is just like real mom moments. I'm not good at it at all. I mean, I need to work on that, but running a business is so hard. You can't do everything. And the hardest thing is to not be hard on yourself and know. And I ask my kids all the time, I'm like, is this okay? Are you guys okay with me? And they're like, yes, we love it. We love what you're doing. And I include them as much as I can. I'm like, would you rather me do something else? And they're like, no, because they see the letters and they see that something's bigger than them. And you can't mom guilt yourself. You got to just be okay and go, there's time I need to take to build something and it's okay. And give yourself a break, everyone. Like we all think that we see influencers and we see people looking so perfect in their life and know that they're not. And I sounded really good in the beginning of my bio. But just know that even when people say they have it all together, those are the worst time. They don't. They're just total mess inside. And I don't have it all together. But when you have something good that you're doing and that you're leading with love, that's what matters in the end. So the joy and the love that I'm spreading, and that's the joy that I'm rewarded with. Thank you so much for being so vulnerable and open. And I think as a leader you need to have that level of vulnerability. So I just thank you for sharing. And I feel like we'd ha- have a whole nother podcast conversation because, you know, I'm a mom of three now and we could have a whole nother conversation of leading a business as a mom. And the I don't even think there's a work-life balance, but I think there's going to be a whole nother episode on just that and the level of work that it gives. All you moms, all you dads, all you dog moms, cat moms, everyone, even if you don't have kids, I don't care. You guys are doing an incredible job out there. <laughs> no one's doing it right. There's no playbook and everyone is just trying to survive here and just give yourself a break and pat yourself on the back because you're amazing running this podcast. I know you're so busy and there's probably some mom guilt and different things that you're doing, but just know you're doing an incredible job. You really are. You're present. You're here. You came on time. I appreciate that. I'm here on time. We're all good. We got this done. Look at us. Go team. And it's only 1045 in the morning. So look at us. <laughs> we may not have showered or brushed our teeth, but we got this. So yeah, you got to pick and choose. And for me, these conversations bring me so much joy learning about people's stories. So thank you so much for being here. And where can people find you and the Farmhouse Rescue? Yes. So It's farmhouserescue.org. I also do speaking events. So if you need to book for motivational speaking, we have different aspects of that. I do some pretty awesome CEO training and there's different ones that we do where I bring them to the farm and we do some C-suite training and something about being in the trenches and picking up poop really brings you down a notch and lets you open up a bit. And it's something that I really enjoy doing. So if there's something you want to book with that, you could always book that with us or book your team building experience over here. So just farmhouserescue.org. Well, thank you so much, Danielle. I will link to all that in the show notes and it's been such a pleasure. Oh, thank you. And you are rocking it, my friend. 
If you have valued these stories or learned something from what you've heard, please share this podcast episode or follow me on LinkedIn. Thank you so much for your support. And together we can build a better community and world.